everyone, and welcome to D20 Dudes, the tabletop role-playing podcast where the die decides our topic. I am Dylan. I'm Jenny. And I'm going to do something different this time and put all of our social media shit in the front because I'm pretty sure people are skipping it. And that's why we're not seeing nobody engage with me. So I'm going to put it here in the front so everyone has to listen to it for the content. If you would like to contact us on social media, I'm being very aggressive about this. I'm sorry. I, we love you. Um, if you'd like to contact us on social media, ask questions, or engage with us in any way, uh, facebook.com slash d20dudes, twitter.com slash d20dudes, or at d20dudes on Twitter, um, patreon.com slash d20dudes if you would like to support the podcast. And um, our Discord link is always in the show notes in the description. Uh, I would say that out loud, but it's like a wonky list of weird random letters and stuff. So that's difficult. Anyway, this week we're going to be talking about uh, The Horde of the Dragon Queen, which is the first book in the Tyranny of Dragons module for D&D 5th edition. And I like it. It's neat. You know that? It's neat. It's neat and I like it. I look forward to hearing about it. So, this is one that I played a bunch through. Now, I thought I played a bunch through. I was, I was telling Jenny about this just a little bit ago. Um, we, we were playing Horde of the Dragon Queen, and the GM I was playing under decided to, like, insert his own little, like, weeby airship thing where instead of doing, like, a whole third of the adventure, we just kind of, oh, well, you found an airship, and it's haunted, and the, the core of it is this little anime girl, and it's the Flying Dutchman, and it's, oh, I don't, I don't even know what was going on there. That was wild. So I, I was, like, reading through this again to, to do my research, and I just see this whole section of the book, I was like, I don't remember any of this. We just hopped aboard Weeb Airship, Air Weeb, the Weeb Airlines, and just soared right past a solid chunk of the adventure. So I'm learning with you today, folks, because I had no idea that like a third of this book even existed. Yay for learning! So let's begin. Um, this game, uh, this module, rather, um, D&D 5e, of course, it has a few like adventure hook things that you can do, like if your characters want to be like more tied to the background of things, uh, but they're not wholly necessary. The game does take place in the Forgotten Realms in the general area of the Sword Coast and begins around a town named Greenest or Greenest, Green Boy. Uh, players can be bodyguards traveling with a caravan of you know merchants or they could just be random travelers in the area, but one way or another they come to this town of Greenest and it's just on fire. This town is just being just torn to bits. And most player characters, being adventurers such as they are, will say, that town's probably not supposed to be on fire. Let's go investigate. Once this occurs, they're going to be greeted with a city ablaze being attacked by kobolds and drakes and cultists in weird robes with dragon motifs on them and things immediately are off to a whole big shebang because as the players are exploring this town which is very on fire 
there's just this list of random encounters they can go through. There's a few things that are, like a few events that are set in stone, of course, such as, you know, the original engagement of cultists that attack the player characters and such. But it, it's clear to see, once the players get into the town and start exploring, that this whole town is just being raided. Uh, roofs are being set alight, uh, but people are not being explicitly murdered, like, outright. Like, they're... they're clearly not there to just cause havoc they're there to take the treasure so you're seeing like kobolds carrying like goblets and plates and anything that might be of value just hang like hopping around and stealing stuff um cultists are doing the same possibly taking some people prisoner and you've got just a list of you know random events that can happen random encounters that you can get while exploring until you finally make your way into the central keep of this town, which is the only building that is made out of solid stone, has a gate that is very solid and sturdy and can be locked and can be considered a safe house. And once the players make it to the safe house, presumably helping some people along the way, they will meet a man named Governor Nighthill. And Governor Nighthill, seeing adventurers, is going to say, Hey, dog, uh, help We'll uh, pay what we can. It's not much. They, like, stole most of it. But Governor Nighthill will do his best to try and coerce the party into helping them have his city not be burnt to the ground. And at this point, you know, as they're kind of going on this little crusade against the cult that is pursuing this town, you have a list of events that can happen, a list of things that Governor Nighthill wants to get done. But... This raid only lasts about the course of one night, and it's generally evening by the time the raid starts. So you have a limited amount of time to get certain events done. Players can kind of pick and choose what events they want to do, which things are more important, like stopping the cultists from taking the treasure or saving people who have been captured, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And as they're they're going through the these events, killing cultists, saving the damsels, uh, stealing the treasures back from the bad boys and overall just being really cool dudes uh, they'll get back to the keep at some point and they'll be thinking wow we're doing really swell we're the adventure guys and we're gonna be the boys who save the day until a giant blue dragon just sweeps in just just sweeps right on in starts blasting its lightning breath at all the guards on the castle keep walls just starts tearing ass through this keep and the dragon, once again, is not there to destroy everything, although it's a dragon. It wants to. It's really just trying to keep everyone in the keep busy so that... It can have the know, shinies. The cult, yeah, the cult can run uninterrupted. Um, there's really not much the players can do about this. Uh, the dragon can be goaded into landing and the players can engage with it. It's not recommended. These players are going to be level 1, maybe level 2 at most by this point. Don't let level one characters <laughs> fight a whole dragon. That's a bad idea. <laughs> you know there's some dumb players that will. So the dragon will just be a horrible distraction and be rude and be awful. Uh, eventually he'll take off once the cultists have managed to, you know, plunder and loot most of the village. And it's at this point, it's just kind of, you know, them finishing up the stragglers, taking what they can burning down buildings and just kind of being a general nuisance. Uh, Governor Nighthill can give a few like last-ditch missions. Um, also, during the night, 
a blue half dragon is just gonna show up. See this blue half dragon, let's see if I can find their name because I'm bad at this. Um, Langdrid, oh god. Langdridrosa Cyanrath. All right, that, that's that's a mouthful. Langdridrosa will um, march up. Langdridrosa has several. Uh, what are they called? Oh gosh! Oh the word! Oh no! Uh, uh, what's the word when you capture people? Captives. And you, captives. Hostages. Um, hostages. Lang. God damn. Langdridrosa has several hostages. And, and she just straight marches right on up to uh, the castle keep and says, Hey, I'm a blue-ass half-dragon, and I demand a duel of honor with your greatest champion. And as long as somebody steps forth to duel me, I will let all of these hostages except one go. And... One of the hostages is a sister, I believe, to Sergeant Markgith, uh, somebody who the players will have met while they're in the keep, resting, recuperating, doing whatever. And should none of the player characters step up to play this role champion, the good sergeant will do so. And as soon as the sergeant does, or one of the player characters does, they will stay true to their word. They will let all the hostages go except one who will be held up and kept as collateral, basically. If anybody tries to interfere with this duel in any way, the Cobalt Guards will kill this last remaining hostage. But as long as the player or the sergeant remain honorable in this duel and nobody interferes and everything goes to code, all the other guards and cultists know not to mess with Langdedrosa and whether Langdedrosa wins or loses, she will stay true to her word and release the final hostage. I know several players that would do, that would try and help anyway. <laughs> yep. Now, once this raid is over, Governor Nighthill is going to say, um, hey guys, uh, thanks for your help, however much it may have been, and we would like you to investigate this. Like, where, why were these cultists taking our things? What's going on here? And through one of any given methods, whether like doing some tracking checks or having uh, a secret tunnel that's below the keep be revealed or having even captured a cultist and interrogated them, you can find the general location of the raider's camp. The first time you go there, you're going to be basically tracking these raiders in with, uh, you know, a whole bunch of cultists and raiders and other people who are you know, coming back to distribute their spoils and such. On the way, you'll run into some stragglers. Um, and if you're not careful even, you may even run into the rear guard, the people they have making sure that nobody finds their camp and such. Uh-oh. Um, and your first time going in, there's just tons of mercenaries and stuff, so the players might even just be able to walk in and blend in like they're supposed to be there. And they can gather information from the cultists, either by listening in or by chatting with the other mercenaries, finding information. Um, at some point, your uh, your characters have been asked to search for a half-elven monk who is has a vested interest in figuring out what this cult is doing and what's going on in this area. And 
you are asked to investigate and find out where this Leosin, as his name is, is being kept. And your first time in the camp, a lot of players like to do this whole, oh, I'm going to be the hero and go in guns blazing kind of thing. It is to be made perfectly clear that there is well over a hundred people in this camp, and if they attempt to do this, they will get their ass kicked. Don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> just don't. Yes. They are meant to just sneak around the camp and get information. Um, some things can happen here. Of course, the player characters can waltz in, and they likely may try to do so, because security is going to be pretty lax at the moment. Um, this does not mean they will not be noticed. There are checks that have to be done to determine whether or not the player characters get noticed by anyone who may have encountered them during the raid. If so, certain events can happen, and the players may need to make a hasty escape. But the one thing they should find out is that in the back of this camp that takes... Uh, that that is in kind of this weird horseshoe-shaped gorge. It's like surrounded on all sides by one, by kind of a sheer cliff face. Um, and at the back of this is a cave. And the player characters will not be able to get to the get into this cave right now. It is way too heavily guarded. Even if they manage to distract the guards and get in, the moment they try and walk into this cave, uh, Langdrodrosa is just going to show up and be like, "Hey, bitch, I see you there," and be a problem. Uh, now, once they kind of go back and report all this, um, if they come back the next day to, you know, check in on things again, they will see that this whole camp is just kind of picked up and taken off. Ooh. It's gone. Yep. The only people left are, are going to be a few stragglers and some guards that were in the cave. At this point, you know, the player characters can get into the cave and explore it. Now, um, presumably by this point, they would have found and extracted Leosin, the half-elf monk, who is adamant that he should not leave. He really wants to stay and gather information, but he's in very, very bad shape. But Leosin, if uh, you manage to break him of his bonds, will give you all the information he knows about the cult of the dragons or what's going on there. Um, he'll be very standoffish, but he really wants to make sure that he knows what's going on, that he knows what um, you know they're planning with all this loot that they've stolen. So he wants you to go back to that dragon, or into that cave of the Cult of the Dragon, and figure out what's going on in there. And that's when we get to episode 3, the Dragon Hatchery. This module has 8 episodes, which sounds like a lot, but we're going to really be kind of glossing over things here. We're just kind of giving an overview. Um... Inside the Dragon Hatchery, once again, random encounters as you're wandering around. You may encounter monsters and such, but as you get inside, um, it's going to be kind of a, a strange and winding cave system. And there's some 13, 14 different regions for you to explore in this. So, of course, we're not going to be going everyone individually, but some of the, uh, the bigger things you're going to run into are going to be like concealed passages, uh, big fungus gardens where kobolds uh, supplement their food. Um, one of the big things you're going to find here is that the reason this cave was so important to the cult of the dragon is that they had three black dragon eggs that were close to hatching and another half dragon named Resimir who is a very high ranking member of this cult wants to hatch these black dragons and at least see one to its adulthood in this area so that it can continue to plunder and be a problem. And of course you, 
As the intrepid, brave, adventuring party of do-good and awesome fun times want to put a stop to that shenanigans. Also, fun fact, this is the part of the campaign where my character, Grigori Rasputin, died, and then I took over the role of the guard that defected from the cult named Bingham. Who was the one who killed him? <laughs> you would. I, I did. It was Bingham was an interesting character in that he was just an idiot. He was as dumb as hell, but he was as strong as a person comes. So, at this point, uh, the players will explore the cave, and w you will encounter Resmir in one of two ways. Either you have tried to go through the Kobold's guard chamber, where they are guarding Resmir. Resmir will hear you coming, slip out a secret exit, and make a hasty escape. Or you will manage to sneak around, find a secret entrance into her quarters, and be able to get in there and encounter her uh, by surprise. Either way, Resmir is going to try and escape, escape this encounter. By this point in the adventure, the players are probably not going to be strong enough to take Resmir down. Um, either way, once she feels she can make a crafty escape, she is going to do so because she needs to rejoin the rest of the cult. At this point, you may find that the cult has fled north while having destroyed the dragon eggs, presumably because players aren't douche nozzles. Um, they have one of two, one of two paths from here. They can. I'm sorry. I said it was Resimir who was in here. No, it's a a person named Frulam Mondath. Mondath is the one who gets uh, finagling here. Mondath will try to escape, but can be uh, can either be killed or captured and interrogated. But at this point, the players have a choice here. If the players did in fact free uh, the half elf monk they will attempt to kind of coerce the players into working for them. They will say, hey, I've got a job for you. You need to figure out what's going on here, and you will meet me up north in this town called El Torel. If you gather information such as you can uh, and meet me in El Torel or find my friend, Onthar Froom, we will pay you. Um, they can either be paid 150 gold apiece, or if they were traveling as like part of a caravan and guarding them, then they will pay offer to pay 20% more than the current caravan is paying them. Nice. Money's always necessary. Uh, as I have played with plenty of parties who give no fucks whatsoever about the greater good and will, in fact, only work for money. Aww. The current party I'm playing in included. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can either accept this job and travel north to El Terrell, or not accept this job and just follow the caravan tracks where they've, you know, taken all their loot and sped away to the north. Either way, we'll come to the town of El Terrell, likely searching for clues. The caravan is going to be at least a day or two ahead of the party, so really all they can do is try and track them at this point in time. In El Torel, they will encounter Onthar Froom and either re-encounter or encounter for the first time Leosin Erlenthar. These are people from two disparate organizations but are working towards a similar goal. See, they have learned that this Cult of the Dragon is actually a cult of Tiamat. 
Ooh. And they don't know what's going on with the cult of Tiamat, but they kind of want to put a stop to their shenanigans. As anybody uh, should. Of course, as they should. Tiamat is a five-headed dragon trapped in hell. That should not change. She should remain trapped in hell. Right. Anthar Froom is part of the Order of the Gauntlet. And Leosin Erlenthar is part of a group called the Harpers. They both have the general kind of, you know, we want to make sure bad stuff's not going down, we need to make sure that the world stays safe and that these kinds of organizations aren't allowed to flourish kind of attitude, but they are very different from an organizational standpoint, and so while they have a similar goal, they can be kind of standoffish towards each other just because of their hierarchies. Either way, either Onthar or Leosin will attempt to convince the parties to help stop the cult on behalf of one of their groups. Um, they can either join in with the Order of the Gauntlet or the Harpers, or they can join in with none of them, but joining in with one of these groups has its advantages. For, in for instance, Onthar Froom knows that this caravan that has taken all this treasure from Greenest is traveling towards Baldur's Gate. Information is that is, yeah. That's a journey of about 550 miles by wagon. And the wagons would take 25 to 30 days for that trip, depending on the conditions. The wagons that the cultists have taken should at least, again, be a day or, ahead, day or so ahead of the group. Possibly more, depending on how much time they wanted to spend resting and recuperating. And traveling at Elturel would account for another 8 to 10 days. Just, just because that's kind of a long journey as well. So, the Baldur's... The, Oh my goodness, the cultists may very well have reached Baldur's Gate by the time um, the player characters can make it there. But the river, Chionthar, flows directly from Elturel to Baldur's Gate, and a sailing vessel can make that trip in just two to three days' time. Uh, three days if they stop at night, you know, make sure they play it safe, or two if they decide they want to brave the waters at night. Nice options to have. Yep, Onthar has already secured sailing vessels for the group, should they decide to uh, work with the Harpers or the Order of the Gauntlet. And will also provide 50 gold each to cover expenses on the trip. Nice. So, either way, you will now begin traveling towards Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is a very cramped city. It does not have large uh, byways for which uh, goods and wagons can travel. It's all just footpaths through this jam-packed city. And as a result, it tends to be a massive trade hub because the only way for people to trade things out of the city if they're coming from the south and going north, or from north to south, is to take their goods, unload them from the wagon, haul them by foot to the other side of the city, and then load them up on new wagons. And people just tend to say, fuck it, and sell whatever they can there, and then just travel back home to buy more goods so that they can sell and make another profit. Yeah, that makes sense. As a result... Yeah, bustling trade city. Um, as a result of this, the people and the um, the leadership of Baldur's Gate have decided, yeah, we shouldn't let them build any roads around Baldur's Gate because that would screw over our whole little scheme here. So they've made it so that no roads can be built near Baldur's Gate. Like, if you want to go around it, you've got to go way around. So at this point, either you've arrived ahead of the cult or you're somewhat behind and you're trying to pick up their paper trail. Either way, um, you're going to start trying to suss out some clues in Baldur's Gate, and you will eventually find out that either Resimir is in town or was in town, 
and hired a caravan to continue moving uh, treasure and goods up north. And of course, it's all contraband, but the people of Baldur's Gate and the merchants there don't care. They just know they're being paid well for this service. Now, you can attempt to confront Resimir here, but of course things are going to get ugly if you start a fight in the middle of Baldur's Gate. Um, you can attempt to confront them outside the city, but if Resimir or any of the other cultists recognize you, you're going to be very swiftly overpowered. So kind of the best course of action is to fall in with the caravan and follow them. You can attempt to fall in with the cultist's own caravan, but that's going to have its own set of dangers. Or you can try and get hired on as a guard or a traveler with one of the other caravans going in the same direction. Which even has the added benefit of you get paid to do this because you are actually performing your mission of guarding these caravans along the way. This is so fascinating. Like, I'm loving this. Uh, this is where things get honestly very interesting. There's tons of NPCs for the characters to interact with on this caravan. And I mean tons. There's literally two whole pages of just named NPCs and short descriptions of them for player characters to interact with on the long journey they now have. Because this can take several sessions because they, again, have just hundreds of miles to cover by land. Yeah. Now, most of these are not terribly important, but there are two NPCs that are pivotal to the story from this point. Asbara Joss and Jamna Gleamsilver. While you were traveling on the road, there's a, a D12 list of random events that will happen, and of course a couple um, just kind of set in stone events that do need to happen to progress the story. And these are anything from finding other bands of adventurers and kind of figuring out their way of life, uh, preventing animal abuse, a strange fungus that screams when you step on it and causes hallucinations, a golden stag that you can try and hunt down, but people will get pissed off if you do because they believe it brings them luck. A murder most foul. Massive spiders in the woods. Burn the spiders. All kinds of... All <laughs> kinds of crazy things happening. Like, these random events are bananas. And it just... Any of these can happen at any point during this. Again, it's all random. You can just have some, like, normal monster attacks. It just depends on what ends up getting rolled. And this... Gosh, there's so much content here. Um, and then there's the planned events, wherein the players uh, can possibly get recognized by some of the cult members that uh, are following along with them, and a scrap can break out over that, and they can try and break off. Getting unwanted attention from a from Jamna Gleam Silver, and uh, even if you don't get the attention of Jamna Gleam Silver, she is going to convince you that somebody is trying to poison your meals at some point down the line, and then she's just going to straight up murder one of the cultists to try and steal some of their treasure. Because Jamna don't give a fuck. Damn, son. At this point, you will come close to the town of Waterdeep, uh, and the cult is going to take a few days to like rest and recuperate here. Um... You can try and follow up on some leads, uh, try and figure out where Resmir is. You'll end up finding out that, you know, once they've uh, rested for a day or two, they are going to continue traveling onward from Waterdeep towards... Uh, God, what's the name of the town? Neverwinter. I should be able to remember these things. They're always just like two words. 
stick them together. Uh, so there's some more, uh, you know, random encounters of monsters and stuff that you can get while traveling north of Waterdeep with either the same caravan or another one. But you will get to the Karnath Roadhouse, which is episode five. Uh, in this area, you'll find that um, most of the cultists have unloaded their contraband, but who knows where that went? Investigating this area, because this is a respectable workhouse where people are doing their best to repair the roads between Waterdeep and Neverwinter. Um, you have to find out, you know, what the cult did with all of this stolen loot, where they're taking it, what's going on, how did they manage to just sneak away all this stuff, and as you're sneaking around, you have, you know, important NPCs you can talk to, people you can interrogate, uh, cult members who are going to catch on to your shenanigans and try and put a stop to you. There's even one who is a friend of the person that Jamna murdered and decides, these player characters are some bullshit and we need to get into a fight right now. <laughs> Good as reason as any. Yeah, I mean, you, my friend's dead. I'm gonna point the finger at you because why not? If you're sneaky and sleuthy enough, you may find that there is in fact a secret path leading out of the workhouse that goes to a nearby bog. Lizard folk are showing up and taking loot through this tunnel into what's the name of this place the mirror of dead men big old nasty swamp got lots of lots and lots of oof gross kind of party encounters uh, and there's several factions vying for control of this swamp and a nearby castle named castle Neritar. you can you can track these lizard folk to find that they're taking the loot to castle Neritar. But once it gets to the castle, they just drop it off. It disappears inside. They never see it again. Uh, many of the lizard folk are going to try and attack you at first glance. But it is possible to come up on a group and ambush them. As long as you are being stealthy, stealthy. Yes. And if you capture them and don't... Like, if you don't kill them all immediately, um, you, you capture them. Then one of them, uh, as long as you don't mistreat them... Uh, will attempt to gain the attention of the party in some way, like challenge him to a wrestling match, or like scratching a secret note, or like as he's speaking in his draconic tongue, just toss out some like random words in common that he doesn't think his friends are going to pick up on, and try and get the, the player's attention, because he believes that they can help these lizard folk throw off the yoke of oppression of this cult and the nearby tribe of bullywugs, who are like weird, gross frog people that the cult has befriended, and who are like kind of bullying them into subservitude. Nice. Either way, yeah, either way, you're gonna try and approach the castle. Um, and once you get inside, oh gosh, this place is big. This is this big old castle. You've got a lot of, like, you gotta get past the longhouses, the moat, the main gate, the, the outer wards, the inner wards. Uh, lots of towers to explore. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on in here. And lizard folk are in here, like, in, as guards, uh, which is fun if you manage to befriend that one lizard folk, and he comes with you on this adventure. He can actually lead the lizard folk into a revolt on your behalf. Ooh. And then you have a lizard folk army fighting for you, which, that's dope. Yes! Um, but as you are exploring, you will find that Resmir has, in fact taken this castle as her own stronghold because 
it is close to a nearby black dragon's lair, and she is communicating with this black dragon on behalf of the cult and gaining his alliance. Um, but not only that, once you encounter her, and you can find her um, journal entries and such in the uh, the sleeping chambers and stuff, where you will encounter Resmir again, she will attempt to give you the big wumpus and put you out for good. Either, you know, she dies or she escapes, but most commonly she escapes. It is possible for her to die at this point, because the player characters should be getting fairly strong by this point in the adventure. Um, but they will find that underneath this castle was a portal. See, Resimir found this portal and found that it leads some 700 miles to the north to an abandoned hunting lodge. And they decided, you know what would make traveling 700 miles to the north with tons of treasure way easier? This portal. We should just transfer everything over to this castle and have people huck things through the portal instead of traveling 700 miles by a caravan. This is the dopest thing I possibly could have discovered. So they install another member of the cult at the hunting, the abandoned hunting lodge that the uh, the portal leads to, uh, made it to another cult stronghold. But things are not always so happy as they seem amongst the cult of Tiamat. For once you manage to fight your way to this portal and go through, you will come out at the hunting lodge. There are, of course, going to be some cultists, and they're going to be on high alert. But whenever you get into the hunting lodge up to the tibby tip top you'll find that Talis the White the cultist who was left in charge doesn't much care for Resimir actually thinks Resimir's a dick and you're not Resimir nah Resimir Resimir could blow me so Talis will actually attempt to offer you hospitality attempt to persuade you to her side of things she will actually offer to give you some amount of information and equipment and even a passphrase to get into their main stronghold. Damn. Nice. She does this under the auspices that she is going to place scrying spells on you and track you the entire time. She is going to be checking up on your uh, excuse me, checking up on your progress, seeing what you've managed to accomplish. Oh my goodness. And Overall, you know, possibly being a problem because, you know, even though Talus has kind of fallen out with some of the other cult members, she is still a cultist of Tiamat and can't be trusted. Uh, if the players reject her deal, it will start a fight, and if the players manage to win, Talus will surrender. She will not fight to the death, and she will then offer up some information. You can perform some checks to try and get more information out of her, getting most of the same rewards you could get if you took the deal. Uh, past phrases and such. Um, but the important thing is Talus or somebody uh, in her retinue or some papers somewhere, you will find that there is a massive flying castle owned by a cloud giant near the village of Parnast. The cult has managed to schmooze their way in good with this cloud giant and are using his flying castle as basically an airship to transport this treasure for the cult. So however you manage to get that information, you travel then to Parnast, and you will mostly find that it is, you know, a front. It is a town that by all rights looks like a normal town, but everyone there is actually a member of the cult, uh, except for, you know, a select few who are 
villagers from before the cult showed up who may or may not be disgruntled with the fact that they are there. Um, the the kind of big draw here is uh, the Golden Tankard Tavern, which is run by uh, a man named Othelston, who seems to be... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Owner is Ragnar Redtooth. Othelston is just the picture that was above. Ragnar Redtooth owns this uh, establishment, but he takes bribes from the cult, and if he thinks that anybody is trying to, you know, kind of gather information and be a problem for the cult, he's going to sound the alarm and basically have you guys thrown in the stocks forever. Most people are just going to turn you away. It is possible to find some few of these people who are willing or forced to talk who will be able to teach you one of the passphrases that maybe you skipped out on if uh, you killed Tielson the White, um, Tiamat, not mother of strength, or Hail Black Othicus. And also that the stables that everyone is saying have been out of business for quite some time aren't so out of business. See, the cult is actually using them to house a couple of wyverns that they will use to transport goods and people to and from the castle when it has already taken flight. Ooh, wyverns. Either way, it is up to you, up to, you to use your uh, investigatory powers to discern the location of this Skyreach castle, as it is called, and find a way onto it. Either before it takes off, or by stealing the wither- wyverns after it takes off and getting on top. Having the passphrases and the help of one of the cultists at this point is very helpful, because Skyreach Castle's big, and it's owned by a cult that has a dragon on board. For one of the things that you can run into is a massive vault full of treasure, but if you manage to go in here... If you find this vault and stumble inside, an adult white dragon is going to freeze over the walls so that you can't get out and kill the hell out of you. Uh-oh. Now, I say that this thing is owned by the cult, but it is not. It is actually owned by the cloud giant Black Thokus. He does not particularly care or hate for dragons. He doesn't particularly care for or hate anything. He's just kind of a neutral dude. He thinks that his cloud giant brethren have grown weak and complacent. And so most of his schemes and shenanigans are towards trying to rally them to their uh, former glory, trying to make them stand up for themselves and declare themselves basically kings of the world. And he'll do whatever to reach that aim. Several of the Cloud Giants have decided, maybe I should steal this castle for myself, but as it turns out, they can't. Because the flying castle is actually propelled and guided by the spirit of Black Thokus' dead wife. And while anyone can try and use the activation runes that control the castle, if Miss Dead Wife doesn't want the castle to go that way, it just won't. So they really have no means of taking over the castle and keeping it airborne or at least in any sense that would allow them to retain any kind of control over it. But if you manage to run into this white dragon and escape from it, or if you know the dragon is there and you find any of the cloud giants on the castle, uh, as it turns out, you can say, hey man, that dragon in there is a dick. You should go beat him up. And the cloud giants will be like, yeah, fuck dragons. And they'll go (laughs) fight the dragon for you. It sounds like teenagers wanting to prove themselves. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck dragons! <laughs> mm. 
Either way, this is a huge dungeon. This is the climax of the entire thing where you're trying to fight your way through this massive flying castle. And you have one of two goals, because as you've encountered Resimir in this castle again, you will find out that once they get this massive horde of treasure, they are going to use it and five dragon masks to perform a massive ritual to summon Tiamat from the Nine Hells and let her take control of the material plane for herself. Uh-oh. It is here where you will have your final standoff with Resimir, uh, possibly even gaining one of these dragon masks. And... At the end of the day, you have to either take control of Skyreach Castle for yourselves to divert the treasure away, or crash it so that they cannot possibly use it to take this treasure to where it belongs. If you manage one of these two things, you have succeeded in the Horde of the Dragon Queen. You have beat the thing, good job, a hero is you. And if you can't? If you can't, then the party wipes and you all die. <laughs> There's dragons afoot, bro. <laughs> it's bad news. Now, like I said, this is actually only the first book in the Tyranny of Dragons module because at this point you know that there is a cult of Tiamat that is not only the cult that you've encountered so far, but it's actually far-reaching that is going to use these masks to try and summon Tiamat herself. And while you may have one, that will not stop the ritual. It will only slow it down. And presumably, the adventurers don't want Tiamat to be summoned. That would be kind of Garbo. Yeah. Um, at the end, there's, of course, a few appendices, you know, uh, stat blocks for important NPCs and characters you've run into, uh, a few magic items you might run into, or, or things that you can just kind of use to uh, spice up your other games. Uh, the Black Dragon Mask, like I mentioned, is one of the items in here. Uh, a great sword named Haziron. The Insignia of Claws and a Wand of Winter, all rare magic items that can be used in any D&D game, not just this module, so you, should you so choose. This one, uh, I would love to play through again. I want to make a character, and I, wanna, I want to get through Horde of the Dragon Queen the way it was meant to be played, because this is the exact kind of adventure that I love, because it is so stereotypically Dungeons and Dragons. In in that there are, in fact, in this book, both dungeons and dragons. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like something I'd love to play as well. Excuse me. So, like, th this is one I may even attempt to find a group for or possibly run myself after having gone through this book again and seen the scope of this adventure. Because this just being part one, I have the second part two, uh, The Rise of Tiamat. And I haven't read through it yet, but it's a thicker book than this first one. It's got more content to it. And it's got those other dragon masks in it. It's got all kinds of new magic items, new NPCs, and a whole big new adventure where you're trying to actually put a stop to this cult. And I've taken a peek in the back. Actually has contingencies in case you fail. Ooh. Like, your party doesn't wipe, but Tiamat gets summoned, and what you're supposed to do to deal with that after the fact. That's nice. And, yeah, that just sounds dope as hell uh and of course the rise of tiamat's going on the list we will cover that at a future date i'm sure some people right now are saying but dylan you didn't stay true to your word it's been seven weeks now and we haven't heard any more out of starfinder well i'm sorry weird voice person this is actually my bad and i shouldn't make fun of you and your weird voice i have for some reason lost a great deal of my starfinder materials i don't know where they went uh-oh so I actually cannot continue covering um, 
what, what, what's the name of the adventure path? Dead Sons? Yeah. I can't continue covering that right now because I, I don't know where my books are. <laughs> so um, if I either find those or manage to get my hands on new materials, I will continue covering those in the future. But for now, they're just going to kind of be put on pause because I don't know where those are. I'm sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. Good. Because you are subordinate to me and I own you. so thank you everyone for listening uh this episode this was actually really fun to do research for um i'm gonna go ahead and get my magical d20 out and get my list up i should have done that before Um, so let's let's roll that beautiful bean footage and see what next week's uh topic is going to be number 11 encouraging role play in your players this is a big one yeah. We're going to figure out how to make it so that people want to roleplay their characters. Um, I hope we haven't done... Have, have it we, sounds familiar. Yeah, I suddenly I'm thinking we may have done this one already. Hold on. We have done this one <laughs> recently. <laughs> this year, in fact. I'm so sorry. I haven't updated the list in so long. Oh, roll again. Might be. <laughs> Oh gosh, I need to, I need to repopulate this list pretty bad. If you have suggestions for things to go on this list, please give them to me, pretty, listeners, pretty, pretty valued please. listeners, beautiful listeners. Eighteen, uh, doing roll twenty and online campaigns. Okay. Has that one been done? I'm gonna make sure that one hasn't been done now, because now I feel like a I mean fool. you've touched on it like in several different episodes, I do believe. At least one. Well, it's other, a big one. But like it it's, is a big it's, one. It's a whole. Yeah, it's a whole big thing because, you know, it used to be that getting together and having a close-knit group of friends, or, or at least some people that you knew well enough that you wanted to spend extended periods of time with them, that was the only way to play, was getting together and doing this kind of thing. But now, with the advent of the internet and how things have been getting big, and how, like, tabletop role-playing games have been making this big, like, kind of push into being more mainstream, less like, oh, it's the nerds, like... It's there's all kinds of resources online to play campaigns online now, which we, we've even interviewed um, Ryan, who made Rollgate, who is one of which is one of these kinds of things, uh, and that's actually our highest performing episode, uh, is our interview with him and discussing like the reasons why you would want to do things online, and kind of micromanage these things instead of constantly having to schedule out having you know a week or a biweekly or however many times a week, like, however often you want to play this game, uh, the, the advantages and disadvantages to doing it online as opposed to having an in-person group. See, I, I will say right now, one of the things I love about Rollgate is the time I, as a brand new GM, have to plan things. <laughs> it's so. that, that can be a, a huge boon whenever you're like new to these kinds of things but we'll we'll save the rest of the discussion for this for next week thank you everyone for listening thank you Ooh, this one ran pretty long uh we'll catch you in the next episode Bye-bye. bye bye